Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. Lord, we thank you that we can just join in what you've already started, Lord. I think about how you've moved in worship. Think about what's already come, what you've already spoken, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us every week, Lord, and the consistency we see as you speak to us, God. Pray that you'd continue to speak, speak to us, challenge us, make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. So uh, it is great when you get to preach and God has already done a whole lot, very much in line with what you prepared for um, for the preach. He's already done it in the worship. And that, that's great because I was a little bit worried about time. Um, I had, had a little bit more to say than I think I had time for, but I can gloss over some of it now, thanks to God's moving earlier. And Two privileges this morning. One is to speak around the baptism of Jesus. So while I'm talking, if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 3. And the second is I get to share the pulpit this morning with Rudy, who will, he's going to speak around one of the points. We, I'm, I'm a three-point preacher normally, and no different this morning. I'll still only have three points. Um, easier for me to remember. That's probably why. Matthew chapter 3, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's not too long. Only 47, no, no, not 47, don't worry, only 17 verses. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now John wore garments of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We are Abraham, so we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear fruit, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have, had, would have prevented him, saying, I, need, I indeed need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered and said, Let it be so for now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he, uh, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And John saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this morning, as I read through that, I, I felt, let me move this out the way I said on trip over it, I felt three postures 
that we need to have before God. And I'm going to talk around three postures out of this portion of Scripture. The posture of kneeling, the posture of standing, and the posture of walking. I know walking is not really a posture, it's an action, but just bear with me, I'm sorry. I couldn't find another, another one. So, the first one was the, the, the posture of kneeling. And if we read around John, and God's already spoken so much this morning, so I'm probably going to go over this a little bit faster because God, of how much God has spoken. The, the posture of kneeling, as I prepared for this, I felt, well, we're talking around baptism, baptism in water. The first step in baptism in water is salvation found in Jesus Christ. We have to surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, we've just read it. So verse 6 of that section uh, tells us that John's baptism is one of confession. Molly spoke about it in worship. The first step, we need to confess our sinfulness before God. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we, are, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. There's a starting point. We need to confess where we've messed up. And let's be honest, we all mess up. That's okay. We come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me and confess it. So the first thing is confession. The second one, uh, if we look at the same portion of Scripture in Mark, Mark chapter 1 verse 4, is that John's baptism was one of repentance. It says his baptism was one of repentance. So we confess. The next step is repentance. So we, we confess, I've messed up. I'm, I'm sinful. Lord, forgive me for that. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 to 2 says that uh, the writer of Hebrews, is, he, he's saying, I want you to move on to maturity. Let's not lay again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and from baptisms. He's, con he's confirming here what was, what was written here. Let's not lay again. These are, these are foundational principles of Christianity. The foundational principles of what we believe. We need to know that um, acts that lead to death, certain scriptures, uh, versions will say um, act, uh, Acts of death, I think it's something, something like that. Let me not get myself confused. Um, but it's acts that lead to death. It's our sinfulness. We are sinful. We come to God. And that's a foundational understanding. We need to come to God knowing that we repent from these acts that lead to death. In, John, in John's account of this, the, the Gospel of John verse 1 verse 29, he confirms this again and he says, uh, he, when he sees Jesus coming to him, he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a wonderful way to put it. We come to God, we, con we, we know we're sinful, and we confess and say, Lord, uh, we confess our sins, then we repent, Lord, forgive me. And it is in those actions that we find salvation. The first step, as I said, of baptisms has to be salvation. It has to be coming to God, knowing we messed up, knowing we're sinful, knowing we cannot do it by ourselves, and saying, Lord, won't you forgive me? I acknowledge I need you, Jesus, above everything else. That is the starting point. That has to be the starting point. Uh, in Luke's, again, I'm referring to the different, different accounts because it's in all four Gospels. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. And we read, it's actually also in Matthew here. He says that repentance, the last step of this repentance journey, so that remember we're still talking around the knee of salvation. We, we're bowing our knee in surrender. The last step in this that I see 
in this. There's a hair in this microphone. It's not mine, I promise. Sorry, it's begging me. <laughs> um, it is short, but it wasn't mine. <laughs> um, now I've lost my place. Last ever repentance. Uh, all the writers say that repentance, actually, let me, let's read it from Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Let's rather read it. It's a very short scripture, but it's easier just to make sure it's said right. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. And it's in the context of having spoken to the Pharisees and Sadducees when they came. And he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is fruit that comes after repenting. There is a change that happens. If we just stop at the point of, I messed up, Jesus, I need you, confession, submission, and nothing changes. Well, according to what the, the writers of the gospel say, there should be a change. There should be something different. If we come to God truly, there should be a change. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm not going to go into it, but if you want some, uh, when it, in the, also in, in Luke, if you go read around there, Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, he speaks around some helpful handles on this, on just some things that, that are a kind of, Maybe things to consider of what this fruit may look like. Let's go read it. The last thing I want to do, though, is present a gospel that says that we face an easy road ahead. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And I think most of us know this. But I want to touch on two examples in Scripture that speak around bowing our knee to God and the fact that it's not always easy. Um, in Matthew chapter 8, Verses 18 to 22, a scribe comes to Jesus and says to him, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus says to him, birds of the air have a nest and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And shortly after that, another disciple comes to him and says, Jesus, I will follow you. Just let me go home and bury my father. Now, in the, if, you, if you understand a bit of the Jewish tradition, the likelihood is his father wasn't dead. He wouldn't have passed away yet because of Jewish law expecting a burial after a certain amount of time. And he wouldn't, that wouldn't be the case. You probably find his dad was aged, was probably close to death. And he's saying, Lord, let me go back and just wait. Let's, let me settle that, make sure that all that's okay. The estate's all wrapped up and all that's sorted out. And then let me come follow you. And Jesus' response sounds harsh. He says, let the dead bury the dead. You see, we, we need to, this thing of salvation says, this thing of following Christ, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves. The choice needs to be Jesus above all. Jesus first. That's the decision of following Christ. Yes, does that mean there's going to be tough times ahead? 100%. Sorry to burst the bubble if you didn't realize that. But you know what? I love how scripture says those trials and temptations build up our faith. They build us up, make us strong for Jesus. That's what they do. He allows them to happen so that we can be strong. Another example is in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. The rich young ruler comes to him. or The rich young man says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Jesus' first response is, um, you, know the ten, you know the laws. Obviously a Jewish man. You know the laws. Follow them. The young man says, Probably a little bit arrogant, and if I read it in, in correct, it probably says, well, I've, you know, I followed all the laws from when I was young. 
I know what they are. I do them. So Jesus responds and says, sure, go sell everything you have and come and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He's echoing that same thing. What takes precedence in our lives? You see, Jesus, hear this, hear this. In, in, it's, and I've never seen it before. It was beautiful. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 10, verses 21. It's, it's like one short scripture, but it's so worth reading. Mark chapter 10, verses 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure, and you will treasure, and you will have treasure in heaven, and follow me. So I'll read it again, maybe emphasize something different. And Jesus said to him, uh, sorry, I missed the wrong one, wrong one. And Jesus said to him, teacher, sorry, let me get it right. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him, loved him. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, go, sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. You see, Jesus' love of him was to say, what you really need is me. And the same thing is true this morning. What Jesus is saying is what you really need is Jesus. What I really need is Jesus. We pursue after stuff. We always all do it. We pursue after stuff. And Jesus is saying, what you need is me. Go give away the things that are occupying your attention. Go get rid of them. Bring your attention back on me because that's what you need. That's what we need. And I believe this morning God's asking us that is what is drawing our attention away from Him? What is it? Look at yourself. Have a look at, your, at ourselves and say, Lord, show me that I may put you first in my life, that the, all else may fade away into nothingness and He may be first. So that's the first thing, the knee of salvation. That was my first, first posture, the knee of salvation. We start by kneeling before God. The second one, kneeling before God and surrender. The second one is we have a stance, and I've called it the stance of baptism. And before I get into why, why I called it the stance of baptism, I want to, let's understand, well, we all, well, let's not, not, let's not assume that. Water baptism is what we're referring to here. You go under the water and you come up. Well, why do we do that? Is there this miraculous change in my heart as I go underwater and come up? No, I don't believe so. And I'll explain why. But before I explain why, so why do we get baptized? Well, for me, there's two very simple reasons. We've just read where Jesus got baptized. So if Jesus, the one we want to be like, got baptized in water, well, we should be like him. So we should be baptized in water. The second one is if you go read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, God says, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So not only did Jesus do it, but he told us to do it. So as I, as I go on to this, keep this in mind, we, we should be being baptized in water because the Scripture is what teaches us that. And the wonderful thing is, on the 29th of this month, 29th of September, we are having water baptisms. So if you haven't been baptized and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
please put your name down. Go to the info desk afterwards. Put your name down. It is, it is really important. And here's the reason why it's important. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Let's quickly look at that. I mean, over and above the fact that Jesus did it and the, the, the fact that he told us to do it. Let's, if we understand what it signifies. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with, uh, therefore with him in by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in, the, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in him with a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away, might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be, be enslaved to sin. For one, who is, has died to, has, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See, baptism, the definition I've heard of baptism, which always rings true and is the best one I've heard, is baptism, water baptism, is an outward expression of what God has done in our hearts. That's why I say it's the stance of baptism. We're making a public declaration to say, Jesus, I am choosing you as first. It's a public declaration of God, you are number one. And that comes within allowing people in this congregation, church people who are friends and have a relationship with you from a godly perspective, sit and be able to challenge you on things in your life that's not always up to line with God, like people do with me all the time, which is fantastic. That's what it's about. We're making a public declaration. Jesus, I choose you first. What it, what it signifies is, and what this Romans is t- telling us is as we go under, it's a signification of, is that a word? It's, it's, we're signifying that we are going, um, that, that the, body of, the body of flesh is dying, is dead, and we come up to a new, we, we make the spirit now comes alive as we come out of the water. We go into the, we, we, we die, the body goes into the grave, and the spirit is made alive. As I was going through this and preparing this, I, I love what, what the scripture says about what happens with Jesus when he comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him, and a voice says, this is my son, and who I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything. Well, Jesus hadn't done any miracles. What had Jesus done? He had been obedient. He had simply been obedient, looking to God and saying, Father, it's you I choose. Just before Romans chapter chapter 5, just before the section, it speaks about the fact that sin came into the world by one man, Adam. And then by one man, righteousness came through Jesus. And as I read that and I contemplated this, I realized... We choose who our father is. You see, it's because we have an earthly father that we will have sin in this flesh. It is because of that there is no getting away from it. That was the difference between Jesus and us, other than the fact that Jesus was God. But Jesus did not have an earthly father, so there was no sin in him. We all have earthly fathers. And the scripture teaches us that through Adam and through the line of Adam and through um, the father, sin is passed down. We choose 
to have a different father in, in God the Father. And when we choose that, the spirit becomes alive because the spirit now says, that's my true father and I'm changed. And the spirit which lives, lives life to righteousness is changed and is made alive. And the spirit and the physical man is dealt with and is dead. We need to choose to be sons of God. We love the fact that God is, we can call God our father, but it's a choice that we make to be his son. The final um, point is, is walking, or the, this posture of walking, pretty. Before I get going, two things. Uh, it's Ruben's birthday this morning. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, donuts, coffee all around, please, that way. Um, he's, you've been a big part of my life. I've learned a lot from you, and I think um, you're actually the reason I'm here this morning. So it was actually Amy and Ruben who invited us to the church. It's funny how things work. Sometimes it just takes a bit longer than anticipated. Okay, the second thing I quickly need to do. For the sake of clarity, I was swimming. Okay, so uh, also twofold. Um, basically, I embarrassed myself. Get it over and done with and move on to the message. And uh, secondly, if maybe you've had a tough week, um, possibly doubted what is the purpose, why God is putting things in front of you, making things happen, um, you might have said, uh, I need a sign, something needs to happen. Well, something just incredible happened. I swam on the stage, I embarrassed myself. Take this as your sign. God is, a, God, God is alive. He loves you. He's in control. He knows what is happening. All right. So this morning I'm talking about obedience. Uh, when we look at Matthew 3 and the story of John the Baptist, already there's three examples of obedience. First one is the obedience of the people of Judea and the area um, around the wilderness where John was I'm hearing myself loud. <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So the first example of the obedience is the people of Judea um, and the surrounding area John was preaching. There was a call from John to basically come and, uh, and repent, start living according to the will of God. That's the first uh, example of obedience. The second is the obedience of John. John uh, had to baptize Jesus. We, well, we have read that the first there was a bit of a reluctance, but he eventually agreed. And thirdly, the obedience of Jesus. Jesus got baptized because Jesus understood that part of his purpose on earth was to get baptized. So what is obedience? Obedience is a willingness to obey, submitting oneself to a command. Uh, Edmund's Bible uh, dictionary states, and I'm paraphrasing, 
The biblical obedience to God means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender to God and His Word. So let's look at a few examples of obedience in the Bible. First of all, Abram, when he is called in uh, Genesis chapter 12 to go to a foreign land, uh, Abram basically had to leave his family, his friends, his occupation, and just go. Now, a lot of us might say, why, or ask the question, why should I go? What is the purpose? You know, think about it, possibly do a cost calculation. But in Genesis 12, 4, it basically just states, so Abram went, as the Lord has told him. Now, how many of us this morning would basically obey the command if it comes? Pack up and go. That's basically an instruction. How many of us would be willing to do that? Abram takes it one step further of the obedience and, and shows us that he's not obedient once, but a second time when God asked him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Another example, Mary, mother of Jesus, when the angel appeared to her and said, you're going to be the son of God while you are still a virgin. Now, I think the Mary of today might say, that's impossible. I need to have a say in this. And... Uh, possibly start thinking, um, what will my friends and family say about this? But the memory of then was <laughs> much more solid than her approach and an answer. In Luke 138, it merely states, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to the word. Now, if you look at these two examples of obedience, what struck me is the immediate obedience. There wasn't first a calculation or a consideration what it's going to happen. What is the consequences to me? It was just plain obedience immediately. Now, if you look at these examples of obedience, you might think, sure, the standard is pretty high. If this is the standard of obedience, uh, you might become a little bit negative and say, oh, well, maybe next time. <laughs> All right. But however, I once read that if your goal doesn't scare you, your goal, your goal isn't big enough. So who would be willing to set a goal of obedience this morning? I'll take it one step further. Joyful obedience to God's command. Even if the command is swimming on a stage in front of people, some you know, some you don't. Now before you make this commitment, let me give you the reasons why we should be committed. Or obedient, rather. First reason why we should be obedient. When we are obedient, we can walk with God. In Genesis 5, we see Enoch. It says that Enoch sorry, worked in, walked in close fellowship with God for 300 years. Now, can you imagine walking 300 years by God's side, obeying His commands, learning His ways, and uh, caring for all the things that are important to Him? This is basically Enoch's life, or this was Enoch's life. What was his reward for being um, obedient? Well, Enoch didn't die an earthly death. He just basically disappeared because God took him. Can you imagine going that way? I don't think that's a bad way to go. But then Genesis 6, there's Noah. Noah lived in dark times, guys. And the Bible refers to God was sorry that he ever created the human race. He even considered wiping everything from the face of the earth. Uh, but when God looked down, he saw Noah and God, oh, sorry, Noah immediately found favor. All right. Uh, because Noah didn't conform to civilization around him. 
he was obedient in the matter that he upheld morality and goodness. Uh, Noah, why? Well, basically for his obedience, his entire family and he got saved while everything else on earth was destroyed. Second reason why we should be obedient is um, when we are obedient, we are blessed. Now, I'm not talking about money, cars, houses, combination of, of these. Um, not that I'm putting anything past God, but let's rather look at Scripture, what these blessings refer to. John 1.8 Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so we will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now this tells me that if you don't read the word, you don't know what the will of God is. You won't be able to obey it, and you won't be able to walk in the blessings. Isaiah 1.19 If you will uh, only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. Now this might, might not seem like a major blessing to us, but Kuno uh, recently men mentioned to me that 30% of people in Zimbabwe doesn't have any food to eat. They might have a different view on this blessing. So while God loves and shows favor to all of his children, scripture is clear that there is an inherent blessing that comes as a result of our obedience. My third and final point uh, as why we should be obedient is when we are obedient, we trust God to be God. So when we are obedient, we get out of the way and we let God move in our lives. When we are obedient, we don't try to control our lives and the situation around us. Instead, we look at God, we trust Him, and believe that whatever happens, happens for a reason, and God is in control, and when the time is right, He will fulfill His promises. We cannot claim to love God and not be obedient. We serve a big, magnificent, awe-inspiring God. We need to obey Him immediately and wholeheartedly, so we can walk with Him closely and enjoy the benefits of our obedience. Thank you. So there's something consistent, there's a consistent thread through these three postures before God. And it comes down to one word. Surrender. In the late 1800s, there was an art teacher by the name of Judson van der Fenter. And he had had a few confirmations of actually God calling him to, be, to move in, out of teaching into a full-time ministry of evangelism. And he grappled with this decision. He fought it. He wasn't sure. And finally, he quoted because he was saying, do I move into that or do I build my reputation in this art field, in this field of art as, as an artist? And finally, he made the call to move, to, to move into a full-time ministry, traveling, being an evangelist. And on making that decision, he wrote a song. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence. 
daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. This morning, I believe God is asking us one simple question. He's asking if we will surrender to him. That may look quite different. For some people, it might be that, that knee of salvation, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Bowing before him is surrender. For others, it might be the choice to make a public declaration that you stand for Jesus in baptism. For others, it might be in obedience. We're surrendering our will to His, our desires and our passions and what we want to Jesus and what He wants. We're going to have a time of ministry in a moment, but before I do, I want to read you one last scripture. Because you might turn around and say, well, so, so what's the benefit for me of surrender? And for that, we've got to jump right back to Genesis. We've already heard from Rudy a little bit about this man's story. I'm in Exodus, not Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Actually, and I can't even read it. Sorry, I'm opening my Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it because my Bible's. Uh, I need it in the New King James. You've got to listen to it in the New King James. Abraham speaks to, is speaking to God, and God says to him, Abraham, I am your shield. I, God, am your very great reward. We're willing to put down our desire this morning to say, God, I want you. I will sacrifice everything else for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. So Paul says, count all a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Could we take a moment? Let's just close our eyes. Take a moment just to and ask God, Lord, won't you show us if there's something in my heart, if there's something in my life that has more value and more importance than you. And let's bring those to Jesus. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.